Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network host. Today, we look at some uh, round one on the road playoff upsets. We go to Dallas to speak with Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavericks about their win over the Clippers. We go to Portland to speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about the pretty comfortable victory Portland had over Denver in game one. And lastly, we go to Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about Trey Young's game winner in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys, and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. The NBA playoffs, uh, they're going. We are one game into all of this series, and I hope your team has won. And if your team hasn't won, then better luck next time. We hope they get it back in game two. It's been a great, great start to the NBA playoffs, and we're going to talk about some round one or game one, round one upsets in today's show. So let's get to it. Now we're joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, Nick Angstat, is here with me. Nick, the Mavericks went into LA, and they uh, they handled the Clippers pretty easily in game one. Now, I think most people were predicting the Clippers were going to get this victory. We saw how things ended in that series last year with some pretty big victories for LA. So what what changed here, especially considering it was a game where Christos Porzingis was uh, very far from his best? What changed was, was not much. The Mavs did win a couple of games last year in that series, and it was all because of Luka. The, the Clippers threw out so many different coverages. They tried doubling him, trapping him. They tried trapping him in full court. They tried all kinds of different stuff. They tried a delayed trap. They tried single coverage. They tried switching. They just tried so many things, and they just don't have an answer for him. In the fourth quarter, they were able to trap him and limit his scoring. Luka only scored one point in the fourth quarter, but the Mavericks still won that quarter because the other guys were able to, you know, to, to beat them. Luka was able to get some passes off, and it was uh, – it's just Luca, man. Like that guy just changes the calculus for for everyone. And then obviously, like I mentioned, some of these role players really stepped up. Dorian Finney-Smith is just night and day a different player than he was when he came into the league. Finished with four of five from three. Like that was just something we never thought of when he was a rookie. Watching him try to like barely make this team when they were tanking <laughs> back a couple years ago. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was pretty good. You had Jalen Brunson off the bench who had two incredible and ones in the fourth quarter to kind of give the Mavericks a little bit more momentum. So it was Luca, and then it was some of the role players that really stepped up for him. How did you see this matchup going beforehand? Like, did you think that this was a good matchup for Dallas? How's the regular season uh, matches um, reflected this, this particular game one? Is there anything that was a surprise to you? On paper, it doesn't really seem like a good matchup for the Mavs at all, right? You have this Clippers team that has all these wing defenders, right? Like Kawhi Leonard, one of the best ever. Paul George, a pretty good one. You have Marcus Morris. You have Nick Batum, who are you know serviceable. And then you have Patrick Beverly, who's a guy who you should be able to throw at a guard and pest him and you know pester him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Terrence Mann, a guy off the bench that you should be able to throw. And then Zubats at the rim. And so this team, like on paper, seems like one that wouldn't match up well. But Luka can just figure out everything that they can throw at him and and uh then you have on the offensive side the clippers are an insanely good three-point shooting team the mavericks don't defend the three-point shot that well this season and so it looked like it was going to be a bad matchup for them but it's just something about this clippers team that they can't seem to, to put it together they have to communicate really well on defense and they just don't um and then luca seems to have their number in a couple of instances and so 
It's just, it's really interesting. We, we called this series uh, Mavs in six. So that's what we've been saying all week heading up to this. Uh, and so we're going with it. And the Mavericks have a couple of different wrinkles they didn't have last year. There's a little less talent over on the Clippers side. Uh, the Rondo is kind of, Rondo's kind of an X factor for them. But, you know, uh, I think this is a, it's going to be a really interesting, probably a long series. That's, uh, that's Dallas Mavericks legend, Rajon Rondo. Nick, please uh, <laughs> use his full title. Now, a guy that has had some struggles over the course of this season and was under an injury cloud heading into game one was Maxi Kleber, a guy they used to defend Kawhi quite a bit. He he shot the ball well this year, but he hasn't quite been the same player all through the year. He had bout with COVID early on and this Achilles issue again, which down the stretch cost him games. He came in, they started him, they went back to their best lineup of Porzingis at center and Kleber next to him instead of the power-Porzingis combination, which they did use uh, in the last, you know, say, five or six games of the season. And Kleber was able to play 36 minutes it. So just how important was getting him back for this matchup and seeing him play at a, at a level that we haven't seen all that much from him this season? It was great to see him come back and start and play and guard Kawhi, which is an insane thing to think about and to, to try and imagine. But uh, we do have to pour one out and just uh, give a moment of silence for Maxi Kleba, who did die <laughs> in, in game one. It just absolutely was murdered. <laughs> in the third quarter when Kawhi dunked on him on a fast break. But that's the kind of guy Maxi is. Maxi will stand up. He will, you know, go for blocks that he shouldn't. He should, he'll go for steals. He shouldn't, he should, he'll do all that kind of stuff because he's just trying to make the right play and just trying to make the, you know, get the maps to the right spot. He has been dealing with that Achilles over those last couple of games of the regular season. We are wondering if he was going to play. There was some weird stuff with, you know, he, Two day, two or three days before game one, he was just like a non-contact practice participant. And so we were really concerned, but he came in and I thought he looked pretty good. He guarded Kawhi as best he could. First half was not that great. Second half, they decided to start trapping and that worked out a lot better for the Mavericks. And so Maxi is so important for this team. Offensively, he's not going to give you a whole lot, but he does give you spacing. He, he hit one of his two threes yesterday. And uh, yeah, he's, he's going to give you that spacing and then he's going to give you some decent defense and at least be in the right spot defensively. That's something that's been really big for this Mavs team. Can a player, you know, just credibly play some defense on somebody and then that changes a lot for him. Well, obviously some things didn't go particularly well for the Clippers. You know, Marcus Morris shot 25%. Kawhi Leonard was at 41%. So you'd have to expect that some of these shots are going to go in at a higher rate in the, in the next game. In Dallas shot 50% overall from the field, and the Clippers are at 44 That's a pretty large discrepancy, which can easily you know, flip the script of this game. So we expect the Clippers to come out and be a bit better. Uh, hopefully a bit better for their sake anyway, that they come out and shoot a little bit more accurately and, and take it up to the Mavs. So how does the Mavs, do the Mavs have another gear from this? Was this was this a best case scenario for them or is it just like, oh, they played well, but th there's more that we can bring? I think uh, on both sides, there's definitely more they can bring, right? This is not over, obviously. Uh, and yeah, the, the shooting discrepancy, especially from three, the Clippers shot 27% from three on 40 attempts. I don't think that's going to happen again. The Clippers also missed some some weird like clutch free throws at the end. Marcus Morris went up and missed two. Kawhi missed one. A couple, I think Paul George missed one. Stuff like that was 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 really different. Uh, but then on the other side, the Mavericks still have por the Porzingis card. He did not play well in this game at all, like you alluded to. Four of 13 from the field, 14 points, and five of those were really late uh, in crunch time that were just kind of uh, buckets that he finished were two of them were free throws and then another um, another shot that he, or another dunk he had off the corner. 
And he has to be better for the Mavericks to win this series. He just has to be a factor at all. <laughs> I think it's going to be really interesting. He had some pretty good games last season against the Clippers in game three. Luca was out in the fourth quarter and Porzingis had a 38 point game, scored 12 of those in the fourth quarter. So he can come out and play well, but just like Maxi, he'd been dealing with some injuries too at the end of this regular season, which will not surprise anybody. He's always dealing with injuries, but he has to be a factor. It has to change. He's really trying to find his role in the offense still, which is kind of confusing. In year two, at the end of this, at the end of the season, going into the playoffs, he's still talking about you know playing, like trying to find his role in the offense. But he still is. He's still trying to find the right spot for him. And uh, but he has to be a factor. It has to be, I think, just more aggressive. Started to get in his head in the first quarter with some calls that weren't called on him, some fouls that, you know, shooting fouls that probably were fouls and didn't get called. So a couple of things like that really got in his head and just took him out of the game. Well, we have to wait a few days for game two. It's on, uh, coming up on Tuesday back in LA. Um, it's going to be really intriguing. Again, I thought that the Clippers would get this one uh, and get it pretty easily. Nick, sorry to say to you and all your Mavericks uh, fans <laughs> and listeners, but hey, that, uh, that script has been flipped in game one really interesting to see how la and dallas handle game two and you'll have it all covered for us over on the uh, locked on mavs in six podcast absolutely wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep focus act and be better well there is and if you have 10 minutes headspace can change your life headspace is the daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app it is the only one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research so whatever the situation headspace really can help you feel better if you're overwhelmed headspace is a three-minute sos meditation for you and headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress improve sleep boost focus and increase your overall sense of well-being if you're feeling that there's something whatever it is going on in your life your work whatever it is that is just sort of taking hold headspace is a great way of getting that clarity back headspace is backed by 25 published studies and its benefits 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads you deserve to feel happier and headspace is meditation made simple go to headspace.com slash locked on nba that's headspace.com slash locked on nba for a free one-month trial with access to headspace's full library of meditations for every situation this is the best deal offered right now so head to headspace.com slash locked on nba today Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I'm sure you know that already. It just tastes like a candy bar. It doesn't taste like one of those protein bars that you have to just suffer through because you know it's the right thing and you know it's healthy for you. Well, you can get and kill two birds with one stone here. A delicious treat, but also doing something good for your body because of Built Bar with their nine delicious flavors. Most of those flavors, 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, only four grams of sugar and four grams of net carbs. Fantastic. And the other ones are 18 grams of protein with 180 calories. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. And if you go to builtbar.com right now, you can use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. The promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Now let's go to Portland to speak with another low seed that got the upset in game one of their NBA playoff series. The Portland Trailblazers, the host of Locked On Blazers is here, Mike Richmond. Portland goes up 1-0, Mike, in the uh, in the first round series against Denver, and it, it didn't seem all that difficult. Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets seemed like the they seemed like a good matchup heading into the game, and you kind of saw why. Uh, they have trouble putting enough defense on the floor to slow down the Blazers and enough offensive floor on the floor to keep up with them the other way. Uh, it's not to say that they can't, but I don't, I don't see an easy path for them. They don't have the type of personnel that can guard Damian Lillard. And when you don't have that, 
it gets tough. And on the other end, Yusuf Nurkic is an okay matchup for Nikola Jokic. And that combination led to a relatively comfortable game one win. Yeah, that's when I talked about this series and, and previewing it, I did pick Portland because I said, look, Denver's got all these you know, defensive players who are, who are big men. Like you've got well, Aaron Gordon, that's what they brought in. But that doesn't really help up against Lillard and McCullum. And when you're dealing with injuries to Barton and Dozier, uh, in particular, guys like Dozier especially who can come out there and guard those uh, guard those guards for Portland, it does make it a sort of a an, un, an unbalanced situation in terms of the opponent that uh, the Denver's taking on. And we did say that play up, but one of the big things I think here is a guy, and we've talked about this on my other podcast on Locked On Fantasy Basketball earlier in the year, is a guy that struggled early this season, and we talked about him as being you know, maybe he is the Blazers' second best player, Yusuf Nurkic, and finally we got him playing big minutes. He had 16 and 12 up against his former teammate, Nikola Jokic. And he is just so important to this Blazers team. We saw it at the end of the year as they started to play better Portland. It was coinciding with Nurkic playing more minutes and playing at a higher level. And we saw that ramped up an extra 10, 20% in this game. How important was that performance from Nurkic? In a lot of ways, and and you said it, he's their most important player. I mean, they're going to be as good as Dame is, um, but he's pretty consistent. Uh, but the other end, what Nurk can do on defense and what he can open up with his passing on offense, you know, late in the game is a five point game and they ran offense through Nurk at the high post. Uh, he, you know, they, they got a handoff to, or they got a backdoor to Carmelo Anthony and then a handoff to Dame, uh, six quick points. And it's, and, and that kind of swung the game. Uh, his ability to open things up on offense really allows uh, their guards to get off the, off the ball a little bit, which opens up like how you can defend Portland. And on on defense, he's just he's an anchor down there. He's he's you know he's not going to lock up the MVP, but he's he's he he has been really good on defense, and they've been much better with him on the courts. Uh, they since him and Norman Powell have both joined the starting lineup regularly, they're about twenty uh, first in defense, which might not sound like much, but they were 29th in defense all year. They made a significant jump to just a normal bad defense and the best offense in the NBA. And Nurk is the big reason for both of those things. I talked about this in the segment earlier with uh, with Nick regarding the Mavericks and the Clippers, but there was a huge discrepancy in this game in three-point percentage. Portland, 48%. Denver, 31%. And those numbers are going to normalize. Is that enough to you know, change this 14-point margin here? Was it lucky shooting? Were they just generating you know, fantastic good looks? Yeah, how, how worried are you at a level of regression and improvement from Denver to, to even the scales there? Well, I think it's fair to think that Carmelo Anthony and Anthony Simons will not combine to shoot 8 for 13 from 3 in every game. That seems like a, yeah. a reasonable thing to assume. I think so. But I think CJ and Norman Powell can shoot. CJ McCollum and Norman Powell can both both can shoot better from three. I mean, CJ was three of seven. He's fine. But Norm did not have a good shooting game, and two of them that he missed were wide the hell open. Um, but Denver also is going to shoot a lot better. I don't know how many more Denver is going to shoot. Like I think the volume thing will be working in the Blazers' favor all all series. But Michael Porter Jr. is one of the best shooters in the NBA, and he went one for ten from deep. And I thought only two of his looks were kind of like crazy. I'm an incredible shooter. Watch this type of shots. So even if you like eliminate those, he's going to go better than one for eight from three. He's too good to limit him on those shots. So like some of, you know, we always talk about adjustments in game between games, but like some of the adjustments is just like the, the, the nuggets are going to make more shots and the Blazers are going to make less and the game will get closer because of that. Yeah, I think that's that's fair enough. And again, the, the Porter one is what the one that really stands out. Like you don't expect him to be a ten percent three point shooter. He's like a forty five percent three point shooter through his career. Like remarkably consistent from there. The Blazers have been for a while now, Mike, going with a a bench unit of let's just call it 
the worst defensive players in the NBA. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's how the team's branding it, but Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Simons, Ennis Cantor, it is a uh, it is a bench lineup that has zero defensive ability, but it's working. Um, yeah, how how worrisome is that trio as as a bench unit? Is there any chance that we see a Derek Jones or a Rondé Hollis Jefferson or an Asir Little get in there if they need that defense? Are they just committed to we're just going to outscore you and try and keep up? I think it would be worrisome in other matchups, but on the other side, when the best offensive player they're bringing off the bench, the best offensive guard they're bringing off the bench is Marcus Howard and aging Paul Millsap, Monty Morris, who's who's coming off an injury and and isn't like a super aggressive individual offense guy either. I don't think it's I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, you know, the Blazers won the bench minutes amazingly. I thought Ennis Cantor got cooked when he was in the game because Ennis Cantor you know, he'd be getting cooked. That's what he does. Uh, Mello didn't, De- Mello didn't look as bad. I, I didn't think he, he had a big problem, but like other teams can take advantage of this personnel in a way that the, that this current edition of the Nuggets can't another, almost any other team in the West would just abuse that trio. But this particular Nuggets team is so dependent on uh, Jokic being the hub that the sort of individual offense that would roast bad, really bad individual defenders. It just doesn't exist. They just don't, they just simply don't have it. Um, They can get it done in other ways, but I don't, that trio is good enough on offense that I think their deficiencies there won't, it won't, it won't end the Blazers series. It won't be the reason they lose if they lose it. Last question for you. We spoke on this podcast maybe six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, talking about yeah, the return of CJ McCollum and how Damian Lillard had sort of struggled in that period. And he just, the shots weren't mm-hmm. going in. He just seemed off. And then over the last, say, three weeks of the season, he just sort of clicked back and we're in that area now. Was there any particular change that you could see as to what that what that change was? Because there was really distinct portions of his season. He struggled at the beginning of the year. McCollum got hurt. He turned it up. McCollum came back. He struggled. And now... You know, they're, they're both together, and Dame is just playing like Dame again. Was he carrying any sort of injury that we're aware of or, or that people aren't aware of in, in that period, or is it just a, a a cold streak that happened to coincide with that time when CJ returned? You know, I think it's a couple things. He was injured. He had a whole, he had a whole uh, myriad of injuries, uh, an ankle, um, an abdomen injury that was bothering him, kind of like a foot, like top of his foot type of thing that was bothering him, and he took a week off. And then he came back and he still wasn't quite right. Like he wasn't himself. But I also think he was going through a lot of personal things. He's had uh, a lot of family members and close friends pass away over the last year. And I think just the the mounting pressure of living a life as a human kind of caught up with him a little bit. And he's openly talked about how he was just having a little bit of trouble, not like caring about the game, but having putting as sort of as much into wins and losses as maybe he did in the past. But I think um, I think he just got to a place mentally where he could feel better about his life and, and the people he loves and cares about. And when he had that balance at home off the court stuff, we just don't see he's been so much better on the court. Cause I, I just thought he was hurt and it was over. And I was like, well, there, you know, if Dame looks like this, it doesn't matter. And then literally it was the difference from my Monday game to a Wednesday game. And he just took off. And it's basically been since, you know, the first week of May that he's looked like himself again. We're going to be really interesting to see how things change here or if they change at all in the uh, game two on Monday between Portland and Denver. Mike, you'll have it all for us over on the Locked On Blazers podcast. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Josh, thanks for having me. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, and three. 
Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed and get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed and you can get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked. That's a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's talk to the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast. Brad Rowland is here with me. Brad, the Atlanta Hawks, they get the first game of the series against the Knicks on the road. Madison Square Garden with a crowd going bananas on a Trey Young close enough to buzzer beating floater. Um, how did you see this series going before this game? And has anything changed in your mind after seeing game one? Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the Hawks in six, but that's one of those things where, and I said this too, if you're going to pick a team that doesn't have home court, you kind of have to say Hawks in six. <laughs> it's one of those things where I thought it was pretty close. Uh, I did lean Hawks. I think they're the, they are the more talented team and the better team if you had to make me choose, but home court and all that. And as you said, MSG was completely uh, ludicrous in game one. It was uh, pretty fun, actually, um, as a, a sort of trying to be an objective observer to see how wild the atmosphere was. But the Hawks stealing that game, you have to say that the series sort of swings to Atlanta on some level because if you go in and steal one on the road, now you're in control. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it comes down to that last play of the game where Trey was getting a little bit of heat from the Knicks crowd, to say the least, early on in the <laughs> game. And, and um, I guess a uh, a le- legendary moment, maybe, is is uh, is begun, or a legendary rivalry has begun with Trey you know, shushing the Madison Square Garden crowd and uh, you know, dropping a few expletives uh, along the way. Obviously, he's got the confidence to back that up, but uh, it could be pretty raucous next game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Trey is not afraid to uh, show some emotion and, uh, you know, put some heat on himself. I think that's something that Hawks fans really appreciate, that he's he's willing to uh, sort of take the spotlight. And he was fantastic here uh, throughout the game, not, not just the game winner, but he was really dominant offensively the entire way, and he's, he's just not going to shy away from it. So that big stage, he seems to enjoy that. And uh, the bright lights will be on now. I think he'll definitely get a quite a reception for game two, you would imagine, after all the stuff that he said both during and after the game. But he's ready for it, I think. He had 32, 7, and 10 in this game. Just the two turnovers. He shot uh, 48%, hit all nine of his free throws. A really strong overall performance. And the Hawks finally put DeAndre Hunter back into that starting lineup. But, Brad, he only played the 22 minutes. We saw him play more than that uh, in the regular season finale. I think it was 24 minutes. So what's the reason for the low minutes here? Obviously, there is some sort of restriction still. And I thought he did a pretty good job uh, defensively. But why why are we seeing fewer minutes for DeAndre Hunter than what we would have seen had he not been injured? Because, again, the, the, the progression was that he should have been playing more than this, I would have thought. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, too. I think, you know, part of it, like you said, is probably restriction-based. Nate McMillan, they're not very uh, revealing on what the restrictions are. They're definitely close to the vest on everyone, not just on Hunter, as guys return. But I think... Honestly, it could have been a little bit of performance in this game. I'm not sure I would advocate for that, but he, he struggled offensively, especially in the first half, I thought. And they kind of rode with Kevin Herter for a little bit more uh, down the stretch than I thought they were going to. I think that you might see him play more as the series goes along, but maybe they're just trying to take it easy on him. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's restricted on some level. And those 24 minutes in the, in the season finale, that, those were very low leverage minutes in a game that didn't mean anything. So I wonder if they're just kind of having him with some kid gloves right now as he, as he returns. And he wasn't fantastic in this game, but he also is the only guy on the team that can do what he does on both ends of the floor. So who was the main um, 
culprit's not the right word, but the, the, the main reason that Julius Randle shot 26% from the field and had a true shooting of 31%. And really, yeah, when he's getting the ball so much and nothing's going in, yeah, someone has to get some of the credit for that. Is it a team thing? Is it Hunter? Was it John Collins who had been cooked by Randle during the regular season? Like, who's, the, who's the guy that they threw out there to uh, put Randle into that position? This is not going to be a sexy answer, but I think it's kind of a little bit of all of those. You know, Hunter did a pretty good job on him, I thought, giving him a different look. Collins was much better in this game than the regular season games. Even Gallinari, who was not a good defender at all, he is very stout. And they had him on, they had him actually on Randall for a few minutes in both halves. And if nothing else, he's going to make Randall take jump shots and beat him on the perimeter. He's not going to be able to just, you know, b- sort of blow through Gallinari because he is very physical. So Randall was just kind of bad on his own in some ways, but the Hawks did enough throwing different looks at him to make his life difficult. And for the first time, maybe not first time all season, but uh, Randall hit a, a bunch of tough shots this year. And on this night, he just didn't have uh, the juice to make those tough shots. Yeah, that's the thing. He's been taking so many weird ISO step backs and, you know, moving from a 27% three-point shooter to a 40% three-point shooter uh, over the course of the year. There has been some shots where you think, okay, that's not going in, and then it does go in. And then you know, over the last month or so, he has been wearing down. Now, I'm not here to say that it's because he's playing 42 minutes in uh, meaningless regular <laughs> season games, but I'm also not not saying that because you know your legs eventually do give out, and we'll see if that's going to be an issue. Interestingly, that Randall played only 36 minutes in a game that actually matters when there was only two two points in it. That's a, a curious coaching decision there from Tom Thibodeau. But we're here to talk Hawks, and I want to talk about John Collins, a guy that was a 20-10 and 10 player last year, um, you know, a lot of people, including John Collins himself, thought, well, it's me and Trey. Like, we're the, we're the two guys we're building around. And then it took some adjustment for him. But he was he played um, really well in a low-usage role here. How have you seen his adaptation to that role, which has changed pretty considerably this season? Um, yeah, only had, what, 13% usage in this game? Took nine shots, had 12 and seven. But I thought was yeah, pretty solid out on the court. So how has he adapted to that change? Because um, I thought early on he probably didn't adapt to it too well. Uh, has that change been what's well, noticeable to me? But what are you looking at the team every game? Like, how has he transitioned into this new role? Yeah, he's settled in a little bit. Obviously, like you said, usage is definitely down. I think he's done a good job shifting some of his energy to defense. I think he's been much, much better defensively this season. He's not going to change the world defensively, but he's no longer a minus and on the floor. There's certain matchups where he might be uh, challenged, but he's really been good on the weak side. You saw that in this game, a couple of blocks on the weak side. He's been very physical and using a, using his sort of burst uh, on defense. And then offensively, the fact that he can space the floor is very helpful. That's not his number one attribute, but he can shoot. He was two, four from three in this game. And I think he's just kind of just made himself into a very well-rounded player. Does it always get you paid? Maybe not. But I think if you look beyond the box score numbers, I think he's been just as good this season as he was previously. They just don't, uh, it wasn't the same sort of, you know, every down usage that we saw previous to this because of Capella and and whatever else. So I think he could, he could do more offensively. Honestly, there've been many nights this this season where they probably should have used him more offensively. This might've been one of those nights, but you can't complain too much when he's doing what what he was able to do. And I think he made a pretty big impact in this game. When you look at this game and you see that you know, it's a two-point margin on the road, which is a, is, a, is a good win, obviously, for the Hawks, but is there anything that stands out and go, well, we need to make this big adjustment for game two to make sure we can you know, take two away from the Knicks at, on their home court? Or is it just like you know, more doing doing the same here? I think uh, for the most part, uh, kind of doing what they're going to do. I think offensively, the Knicks did not prove they could stop Trey Young in pick and roll, particularly the double drag the Hawks run regularly. They had no answers there. I think if there was one thing... You mentioned earlier with the Knicks, but the Hawks didn't play their guys a ton of minutes. They played a lot, 
But if you look at the box score, it's almost like a regular season rotation yep. on both sides. And it was kind of curious. You know, Trey Young sat for five plus minutes at a time in both halves. And it was like, wow, this is kind of strange. And I wonder if they wrap that up at all. They didn't need to in this game. It didn't burn them. But I do wonder if that's just a very natural thing to improve the overall play. So just kind of excise some stuff from the rotation. If they don't do that, uh, I don't. Even, I'm not even sure where, where I would go here. I mean, they, they did a pretty good job on both ends of the floor. Maybe stopping Alec Burks, but other than that, they're uh, kind of, uh, I think, in a groove here. It is going to be a really interesting series. It's one that I had going. Uh, you know, I think to seven games in the end, and we've started off with a really close game, of course. For the Hawks' perspective on this series and game one, you can check out Brad over on Locked On Hawks. Brad, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. And that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing or following this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on the Odyssey app. You can go follow us over there. And you can also make sure you're getting all of the sports news that you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at RedRock underscore Beeble. Follow us, Locked On Network. Also, Locked On Podcasts over on Twitter too, and our Instagram account over there also. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.